back to... Two pizzas, a Goodfellas stone-baked pepperoni pizza costing £3 at Tesco, and Aldi's Witch Best by Carlos stone-baked pepperoni pizza costing just one thirty-nine. So where can you save over 50% on your pizza? Can't top that. Time's up, you're right. Aldi's the answer. So come on down to Aldi, which cheapest supermarket of the year. Other supermarkets may sell own brand products at different prices. For full details, see aldi.co.uk forward slash swap. Caution, caution, manual, fuel, manual, fuel. I'm John Golia. I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Cruz. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Abemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your insurance just for listening to the show. We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations. So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead. Well, hello, Todd. Well, hello once again. Yeah, it looks like you and I this time. Well, we'll so, have to uh, shoulder the burden, and I'm sure Greg will be back uh, soon. Yes, he's uh, got some, and he has an important thing to do today. As so well, he couldn't be. He couldn't be with us, so uh, we'll have to soldier on. And I see we we uh, we both uh, we're looking at helicopter events, so we got a couple of, of helicopter events to look at. You know, and all the work that I've been doing lately, pulling up accidents for the last six months, maybe, I can't believe the number of helicopter accidents that are out. They just sort of fly under the radar, so to speak, and so many times. And not only here, but in Europe, all over the world. You know, so uh, I know they're risky. You know, and, you know, the joke is helicopters have no right to fly. Uh, but I've ridden a number of helicopters. I enjoy them, but it's just it's just uh, perplexing to be able to to go through accident reports and just see how many helicopters sort of stick out at you. And that's one that we're talking about today. One of the two we're talking about today uh, didn't fly under the radar in the sense of it was witnessed by several people, and fortunately for people like us, it was actually videoed the last portion of the flight. And this was uh, one that happened just a month before we're doing this, uh, this project, less than three weeks before we did this. It was like August 28th, I believe it was, 2023 in Pompano Beach, Florida. There was an air ambulance aircraft, which uh, had a couple of paramedics on board from uh, one of the local uh, fire uh, communities. They were going to an accident site. Roughly uh, three or four minutes into the flight, there was some sort of engine problem uh, indication. Pilot turned around, was on the way back to the field, and crashed about a mile short of the field. And there are some fairly dramatic video that was all over uh, social media and regular media that showed what looked like a fire 
near the root of the boom of the helicopter and flame coming out of that and smoke coming out of the helicopter. And it was in flight for about a minute in this video. And then the uh, boom had some sort of major structural failure. Helicopter spun into an apartment building and surprisingly there were survivors. There were three on board the aircraft. Uh, one of the paramedics was killed. Another paramedic was injured and the pilot was had minor injuries. They were able to get out of this burning helicopter and a burning apartment building. And it was one apartment building resident who was killed. Now, one of the two of the things that are surprising, one, the fact that this video exists, which is a an excellent tool for the NTSB to use. And two, the preliminary report came out roughly two weeks after the event. Now, typically, when you have a fatal event, even one that involves a, a lot of people like an airliner, you're not going to see a preliminary report in two weeks. I mean, in your yes. experience on the board, how often did that happen? Not very often. That's, that's pretty quick. Of course, it helped if, if there was a, a NTSB regional office here in Miami. So uh, they didn't have to travel very far, and, and maybe their workload at this time of the year is not that heavy, so that they had somebody that could be quickly dispatched. I don't know the answers to those, but those are all factors that enter into how quickly they get a report. But it's just, it's amazing how many uh, medevac helicopter accidents there are. Now, I can understand it in some of them. The, you know, it's high risk. You're going in to pick somebody up. You're trying to save somebody's life, and you're going into a highway scene with wires, with with telephone poles and light poles, and all sorts of obstacles. So you can understand some of of that. And then you got motor vehicles. We actually did an accident where they drove a truck into the rotor blades of one of one helicopter and caused quite a mess. Uh, so you can understand that. But we also get in the medevac. When the weather is bad, you get the pilots putting pressure on themselves, and then you get the flight nurse putting pressure on them. That, And I, I did some work for, for medevac helicopters, and flight nurses would say to them, somebody's going to die if you don't go. And, you know, that kind of pressure on pilots, especially most of these guys are normally younger, and uh, they give into that pressure. They get, they get uh, the macho thing, and and go off and fly and, and weather that they shouldn't. But that wasn't the case in these two adventures. So it's it's there's something else to play here, which we can't tell from afar what and, it was. And, and before we go further, I'd like to go back in history a bit. When I was growing up in Texas, I grew up in San Antonio, and Fort Sam Houston was about two or three miles from where I lived. And that was a major base during Vietnam. And there were always medevac helicopters flying and training around. In the early 1970s, there was a pilot program that used military helicopters, Hueys in this case, to do essentially a, a evacuation work for car crashes and whatnot. And then, of course, you're talking about a military helicopter funded by the government, with several people on the crew, fantastic, phenomenal resources for maintenance and oversight. Whereas you fast forward 50 years. Virtually all of the ones that are done now are being, not, not virtually all, the vast majority of them are being done by private operators. Like this accident aircraft was operating under Part 135 as an uh, air ambulance. And uh, I'm not saying that, uh, that you know they're cutting corners for profits, but simply put, you don't have the same kind of support you would have with a military organization. And also the missions are way more varied than what was happening during the pilot programs in the 70s.
So yes, there are a lot of crashes that happen. They come up in the news often because, especially if they have a patient on board, that's instantly newsworthy. And we've done a, a couple before, not just helicopters. I think we did one with a PC-12 a few uh, months ago. And so you always, uh, in my case, I ask myself, was there something about the way the organization is run that put this helicopter at risk? Now, in the Florida event, it just happened a couple of weeks ago. The early indications and the preliminary report point to some sort of mechanical issue. Uh, this is a twin-engine helicopter. There was a fire indication or failure indication on one of the engines. Engine was put into idle. The pilot then got a fire indication, hit the fire extinguisher, and the temperature still went up in the uh, in the exhaust uh, temperature reading. And shortly after that, there was another issue that caused the structural failure. So this will likely take quite a bit of uh, investigation on the part of the NTSB. But on the surface, uh, nothing seems to be jumping out at us. It was a decent day to fly. wasn't heavy weather or anything like that. And you can see that from the video that we've been showing. And for those of you watching the video version of it, I have a couple of clips from uh, eyewitness videos of this crash. And so one would suspect that weather wasn't an issue. But again, this is the early part of the investigation. And until such time as they determine what the probable cause is, I'm not going to leave anything in, uh, leave anything out or put anything in unless there's evidence for it. Yeah. Now, let's contrast this with a comparison accident. I look back in the NTSB records to see if we can find one that has been fully investigated. That was an air ambulance that had some sort of mechanical issue associated with it. And the one we're using today is from 2017. It was a different twin-engine helicopter that was transporting a patient in this case. By the way, in the uh, uh, first uh, case in Pompano Beach, there was no patient on board. They were going to the accident. The second one, the aircraft, the helicopter was flying about 120 miles to deliver a patient to a hospital. There was an engine problem, and the pilot looked at the indicators in the cockpit, shut down that engine. Turned out that this engine he shut down wasn't the one that had the problem, which was a seized bearing, but one that didn't have a problem. About a minute later, the uh, seized bearing engine shut down, the helicopter lost power, and apparently went more or less straight down, no indication that the rotors were turning at the point of impact, and both engines weren't indicating uh, that they were turning either. And we thought, well, what about the pilot? Anything about the background of this pilot that would say that uh, this person did the zig when he should have zagged? This person had been flying for this company for about eight years. Before that, he had a career as a Black Hawk pilot in the Army, had like 5,000 hours total, about 1,000 hours in this model of aircraft, had passed his recent uh, uh, recurrent test. And although there are some specific uh, recurrent tests that he had not taken, or not recurrent tests, some training that he had not taken, for example, how to do an auto rotation. The fact is, this person had been flying for years. He was 51 years old, had been flying for, well, I presume, at least a couple of decades. His career was fundamentally in helicopters. In my opinion, this person knew how to execute an auto rotation. In my opinion, this person was flying, again, a very good weather day, daytime, light winds, nothing outstanding with respect to the weather. The investigative report said that uh, nothing unusual happened in the three days prior to the flight. 
this person didn't have another job, so it wasn't one of these fatigue issues that come up occasionally on these medevac uh, companies. And when they said, well, there were some confusing indications in the cockpit. Well, good. Tell us more. I fault this investigation because it told us what happened. They told us why there might have been confusion on the pilot, part of the pilot, but didn't really get into the details of, was this something that was common for this kind of failure across the, uh, the, the, the helicopter world? Is this something specific to this helicopter model? Was there something deficient in the training in that, although the training, the accomplisher training, was there something that should have been put into it to help identify which engine to shut down? Those questions weren't answered. And that's kind of distressing because, as you stated before, uh, medical helicopters having accidents is a fairly frequent event. And this was an opportunity to shed light on that and maybe prevent them in the future. And I think the NTSB could have gone a little bit further in shedding light on how to prevent similar events to the one that happened in the first crash, which was 2017. Again, the Pompano Beach one, still investigating it, still a lot of ways to go. This other event, was from six years ago. Why didn't they do a better job? You know, if you asked them, they'll say, we don't have the resources to dig in, in the, which I never bought. You know, do a very thorough report. That's what you, you, you your reputation is based on, and you need to do it. You know, was this bearing failure? Where was it? Was the bearing failure in the engine? Was it in the transmission to prevent auto rotation? I mean, there's a whole bunch of questions in there that, that just are hanging out there. They, you know, I'm, I'm just surprised and disappointed that uh, we see so much of this in NTSB reports uh, over the last four, five, six, seven years. It just, just leaves a lot to be desired because, A, how long did it take to get this report out? Because, you know, they, they've changed the rules now to allow two years. But when you have an event, an accident, you kill a few people. Uh, if you wait two years to put out the report, everybody's moved past it. The companies have moved past it. The industry in, as a whole has moved past it. And, uh, you know, it's just for whatever the recommendations are, they're almost falling on deaf ears. Um, because usually the industry, if there was anything really important in there, the industry would have picked it up and, and run with it in the direction they want to run, not maybe not the way the NTSB wants them to go. So there's just so many variables in there with these accidents because the NTSB does, doesn't do as thorough job as they used to and also takes way too long. You know, and I used to give presentations when I was at the NTSB and I often uh, commented that you really only have about 30 days where you have the note, the, the attention of senior management in an operation. And, you know, it can be a little more than 30 days, but it, that just seemed like a, a, the right number. And, and during that time, if you come up with some recommendations that you'd like to see them done better, oftentimes they'll implement them right away. You wait two years and come up with recommendations and they're moved on. They're, they're thinking about uh, their current operation, not yesterday's operation. So you, you have a harder job trying to get improvements in those areas. So it's really unfortunate that, that uh, the present uh, method of operation of the NTSB is so far behind the curve. 
Now they 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 say they don't have the money. They have more money than we than was there when I was there. Um, but you know, maybe it is. Maybe that they've got a you know high level of expenses, and you know, it's most of the places. Uh, most of the expenses were uh, were salaries. We've gone a long time without a major aircraft accident, which really sucks up a lot of resources. So uh, it just it defies description from a, a definition from the outside. You just don't see it. And maybe there's something in there. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that there's something going on that, that's eating up all their resources. Now, separate from the NTSB doing this investigation and is the whole legal world, which we have very little insight about because uh, when you talk about a private operator having a fatal event, it's very likely there's going to be some sort of lawsuit down the line. And in most cases, these things never come to trial. And there might be some insights gathered that go beyond the NTSB, but because of the legal restrictions on that sort of thing, it's unlikely that the public would ever see this. So although there's a potential to understand what went on in the legal world, uh, the potential for having that information go out into the civilian world is virtually zero because there's usually a non-disclosure agreement, et cetera, et cetera. Neither side can talk about either damages or what they found out. And like you said, years down the line, let's say the truth, quote unquote, comes out about the event. Is there going to be any incentive on the NTSB to reopen a case that's not at the very, very top of the public's mind? And there are only a handful of events every decade that are so uh, media, uh, how should I say, so attractive of the media that there's going to be questions asked for years afterwards. For example, Kobe Bryant's a helicopter crash comes to mind, and H-370 comes to mind. But the thousands of others that happened during that same time period, almost no public uh, exposure. Okay, in my years with the NTSB, I actually was involved in a general aviation accident it was was totally off the mark on the part of the NTSB, and in, in, uh, we in that particular case, they blamed the young pilot uh, for, for having consumed alcohol because his friends were out drinking and and uh, he wasn't drinking, and uh, I ended up going into the docket, the NTSB docket, and pulling out the medical examiner's uh, findings and gave them to the doctors that the NTSB had on staff. And the doctor looked at him in two minutes, he said, "The guy, this guy wasn't drunk. And it was mainly from the, his uh, viscous fluid in his eyes, right? And he, he said he didn't have any alcohol in his system. And it took a lot of discussions, and sometimes a little bit heated discussions, to get them to finally correct the report. They just don't like to go back and correct the reports. And they were at that time while I was there uh, at a board meeting, I actually asked how many re requests for reconsideration do we have? And I never did get the answer. They danced and danced all around it. They did a, they assigned a bunch of people, a couple of people uh, to do the reconsiderations as fast as they could to clean them up so that I never knew how many were outstanding. None of the board members knew how many were outstanding. So that you know, when you want when you want a reconsideration at the NTSB, you better be prepared for the long the long haul because it's just not going to happen for um, you know 
maybe you'll maybe you'll be gone and forget about it, and and they won't have to do it at all. I mean, it's it's really uh, frustrating. It's very frustrating. Now I'm just speculating here. We're now in a wholly different era of public discourse when it comes to aviation safety versus 20 or 30 years ago when I was uh, in industry and you were at you were at the NTSB. Do shows like this, the social media, does the media landscape we have now, is it helping or hurting? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know either. But, you know, we're, at some point, I'd like to have a dialogue with some of the folks at the NTSB. It's just going to be uh, hit or miss until we can get a, a real audience with the NTSB chairman. Well, Todd, I think we talked that one to death. And uh, I hope people listen to us. And since we don't have Greg, I'll let you wrap up the second last word. <laughs> well, uh, we talked about uh, air evacuation and medical evacuation helicopter companies. This is not to paint a broad brush to say that they're, they're, they're a bad bunch as a whole. It's just to point out that this is something that we find is happening frequently. We find that uh, the events when we scratch the surface it usually leaves, leaves us more questions than answers. And these two events are two of many, and we have more questions than answers. I'd like to reverse that to have more answers than questions, or at least as many answers as we have questions. Yes, I agree. Well, for myself in the last word, I'll say what I always say. If you're gonna go flying, do a good session of pre-planning. Look at it before you leave your hotel or your house. Look at it again in great detail at the airport. When you get out to the airplane, do a thorough pre-flight. I just had some conversations just today with some pilots about pre-flights, and the FAA has actually picked it up. I'd like to think they picked it up from our show, but all of a sudden now they're talking. They have a safety alert out on pre-flights. So I'm glad to see that because that's just an area that it's just so easy to make a mistake and consequences can be so severe and after you do your pre-flight and get in your airplane get it off the ground and make sure when you're taxiing to get it off the ground you pay attention i just came across a, a, a source of information that we haven't used previously and, and just got it so it's going to take a little while to dissect it but the number of damage ground damage accidents on little airplanes at airports over, over a one-month period, it was a whole bunch. I mean, like a dozen. You know, taxiing the airplane into the fuel pump, taxiing the airplane into a parked airplane. I mean, there's just so many of them. I just couldn't believe it. So we'll be talking about that in the future. But when you get out there, pay attention. Get, you know, don't be taxiing where you're trying to do something else. Stop. Do what you need to do before you get to the runway. After you get in the air... Please put that head on a swivel. There are so many pilots out there, student pilots, pilots with instructors, so many flying around the airports today. The risk was always high. It's even higher now. So please, please pay attention and fly safely. Thank you for checking out our show. We really value our listeners and subscribers. Our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it. So please give us five stars in your podcast platform.
We want to keep in contact with you. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. You can email the show at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube, we're really working on growing the channel, and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that, and we read all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe.